amen, amen. Man, we are so thankful uh, that you chose today to worship with us, whether you're here in person or you're online. I know I actually delivered some bulletins to some folks that were taking notes and wanted the bulletin, so I happily delivered it. It helps out that they were pretty much my neighbor. Uh, they were right there just one, one or two roads away from me, but man, uh, I am... I can't tell you how excited I am for this series, this vision series. It's been a long time coming. Uh, I, I want you guys to understand uh, where we are as a church. I want you to understand where we're headed. Uh, and so I'm excited to get into that. The title of this series is What's Next? What's next for us at Lindsay Lane North? What does it look like? What does church look like? What does ministry look like? I'm going to give you this disclaimer. You may be annoyed at how unspecific I may be. And that's because we, we, we work in this thing on the fly. There's some things, there's directions we're headed, all right? And I want you to know that and I want you to get on board with that. Uh, but I'm not going to have all the answers. Uh, but I can tell you this with confident assurance, I haven't had all the answers so far. And, it's, and man, God's done amazing things. So uh, I'm excited to, to clue you guys in on kind of things that are going on. But not just so that you know, I want you to become involved in it. Uh, the church is not a spectator sport. It is something God has called us to live within, to act within, to respond in. And so I want to encourage us to continue to do that. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. This is a series uh, that will tell us. Uh, I want you to see the church and know where we're headed. I want the, the series to act as a vision casting of sorts to what next steps look like for our local body of believers. We've talked about next steps. It's in our vernacular as a church. So how do we as a church body, how do we take next steps the book of Deuteronomy deals heavily with the question of what's next. There, the book of Deuteronomy is an organization of three sermons that Moses tells his people before he gone. Before he leaves them, before they undertake probably the most important uh, thing in their life in coming into the promised land, into the conquest, the period of conquest, he gives them three parting shots, three messages that we find in the book of Deuteronomy. And it deals heavily with uh, the, the issue of what's next because who he is talking to is people that have only known wilderness living. You see, we got to understand the context of the book of Deuteronomy before we get into it. The Hebrews had once before, Hebrew, the, the book of Deuteronomy takes place with the Hebrew people right on the cusp of the promised land. But they had been there before. They had been on the edge of the promised land in a region known as Kadesh Barnea, and they had sinned. God gave clear instructions 
to go in and take the land. I will be with you. This is your possession. I promised it to Abraham. I've promised it to others of your memaws and pawpaws throughout the years. I'm telling you, go and take the land. It is yours for your possession. But they didn't do that. They sinned. They disobeyed God. And the consequences was a 40-year wandering in the wilderness that saw an entire generation of folks from 20, the age 20, up to be wiped out before the nation of Israel could go forward. In fact, the book of Numbers is called Numbers because of the census that was taken at the end of the wilderness wanderings to make sure everybody had died who originally was 20 years old or older that made sure that they had died so that they could enter into the promised land with God's blessing. This is the context that we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy. For a people that initially doubted the provision and the power of God, they would undergo a 40-year training regiment of daily dependence on God until an entire generation of people were conditioned to understand that their life was solely dependent on the faithfulness of God to meet every one of their needs. Think about what God was doing here. He wasn't just being mean. He wasn't just brooding over Israel's capacity to sin. What he was doing was raising up a people that knew no other life than to daily depend on God for survival. In the wilderness, the desert, knowing that geography, in the desert, if they don't wake up and manna is not on the ground, they are destroyed. If God does not bring water from some really unique and crazy places in the middle of the wilderness, in the desert, they are sunk. And so what God does is he gives them a 40-year intensive course on what it means to depend on me every day of your life until the point where all of the people who doubted God had passed away 20 years old and older had passed away and the only people that remained were those that understood that God could be depended on even in terrible chapters of their life God could be depended on to meet every one of their this is the wilderness experiment, if you will, right? 40-year training regimen of God supernaturally meeting every one of their needs. And then the book of Numbers tells us a census is taken, and they are allowed to go back into the promised land. And so the book of Deuteronomy begins with sermon number one in the 40th year of the 11th month on the first day of the month. 40th year of what? 40th year of the wilderness wanderings. So after 40 years, 39 years, and one month left, right, They, uh, God shows up. God gives Moses a word, and he begins to preach to his people. So on the 40th year of the 11th month, so in our Gregorian 
present day calendar, that would be like saying December first, right? Now, obviously, it probably fell more because of the Jewish calendar. It fell more in January or February. But fast forward a couple months, and Joshua now has the lead at Passover. And right after Passover is when all the stuff goes down at Jericho, right? So we're talking about a span of two months, and Moses preaches three messages. You thought I was long-winded. Three messages... Two months. These are the final words that Moses would deliver to the people of Israel. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40. This encapsulates the entire teaching of the book of Deuteronomy. This will work as a framework by which we will organize the rest of the messages in this series. Look what it says in verse 40. Therefore... You shall keep his statutes and his commands, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Now, I recognize we cannot compare ourselves one-to-one to the situation in Israel. That is poor hermeneutics to do that. And you're thinking, Herman who? It's a poor way to interpret the Bible, right, to directly apply their situation to our situation. But there are truths that we find in it and that we want to mine out. The first word there in verse 40 is therefore, right? And like every seminarian knows, every Bible scholar knows, when you see the word therefore in Scripture, you have to find out what it's... Very good, very good. We find out what it's there for. So how do you do that? You go backwards. You begin to read the context of the verse. And what what Moses is detailing is the provision of God in the history of Israel. So he is saying, therefore, it is a message of remembrance. Therefore, in light of all that God has done, this is what I am calling you to do. This isn't unfounded. This this is, it doesn't, you know, God has a record of faithfulness that I want you to remember. And so today we're going to talk about remembering what God has done. That's a curious subject on a vision message that typically deals with what's ahead. But it's what's behind. It's what we remember, the faithfulness of God that we track that provides the fuel to pursue him in the future. Therefore, you shall keep its statutes and commands, which I command you today. Right? There's, there's laws, there's rules that we must follow to be in obedience to. This speaks to reverence. So to remember and then to reverence, to reverence God, to reverence his law, to give it weight and sway in your life. Make his priorities your priorities, right? We need to reverence God's word that it may go well with you. This speaks to blessing. The third message that Moses would deliver would be of the blessing and the curse that exists. And it's our choice whether we choose. In fact, in that message, he says, I have placed before you death and life, blessings and cursings. Choose life. Come to the realization there is a choice to be made. 
Right? And so the message there, that it would go well with you, is one of blessing, of realization, of the choice, the active choice that is required for us to make even daily. And with your children after you, that it may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you for all time. This speaks to reproduction and longevity. Right? Reproduce yourself. Teach it to your children so that it's not you just being faithful, but your children after you. Disciple, grow up, hand over this legacy of faith. Moses at the end, this is not a message, but it's an action that he takes. He hands the reins of the people of Israel that only he has had the entire time, all the way dating back to Egypt. He hands it off to a man named Joshua. What we know about Joshua is that Moses had groomed Joshua to be his predecessor. To be the person who would come after him. Who would lead the people in his absence. So it speaks of reproducing yourself. And so sermon 1, Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 1 through Deuteronomy 4 verses verse 43 is the first message in this sequence of messages. And the theme of the message is to remember. So today, our message title, right, is to remember. The Israelites are encouraged to look back at all that God has done in their life. The command is, look back. Look back and see all that God has done. Y'all heard the phrase, hindsight is twenty twenty. You've heard that phrase? That is very, very true. We don't see all that is happening, and we can overspirit. We don't see all that God is doing until hindsight, right? Until it's past, we look back and we see all that God is doing. But this happens in everyday life as well. There are things, ideas that I had that I pursued that in hindsight was really, really dumb. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Hindsight being 2020, I was a lunatic for believing this was a good idea. I'll give you an example of that in a picture. I'll show you the picture and then we'll explain it in a minute. Now, this was like 2008, so because my family was balling on a budget, this might have been like a 2000 model phone, so it looks, the picture quality looks like it. All right. This is also an action shot. It doesn't look like it because it's a static picture, but it is an action shot. Um, this is Sanford Hall. Sanford Hall was a dorm that I lived in throughout my college career at the University of Mobile. And uh, that is the second floor. So you see the stairs going up, kind of spirals around. Uh, that is the second floor where my feet are currently off the stairs. That is the second step on the second floor headed to the third floor. Uh, this is me in midair, in case you were wondering. This is me in midair uh, doing what I thought at the time was a great idea. So it was preview weekend at our school. And in preview weekend, what you do is they bring in all of these students from all over the place and you basically give them one weekend to show them what the life of a college student is like, right? So, I mean, you're going on the 1 a.m. Whataburger runs. I mean, you're, you're doing all the crazy stuff, right? You're living it up for that weekend, making sure they know it's a Baptist school, y'all. So, like, 
within reason, all right? Uh, but you are showing them, giving them a glimpse into college life to try to win them over to the school, right? And that's important, and you got actually, you got a little kickback for doing it, like, hey, this was a big deal for us. And so the way that they would accommodate for the people staying there is they would have mattresses that they would bring in. Didn't want to bring in full beds, so they just bring in the mattress, and you put the mattress between your bed, and you had a, a student that you hosted. Well, there was a brief window of time where after the preview day weekend, all of the mattresses would come into the center lobby. And before the groundskeeper, whoever it was, staff could get those mattresses out, there was a brief window of time where you had full reign when the RA was missing strategically that you could utilize those mattresses for whatever you wanted to do. So for me, as a guy and, and my group of friends, we decided, you know, it would be awesome if we decided to jump off the second floor of Sanford Hall onto these mattresses. And y'all, if I'm lying, I'm dying. It was jam up for a while. It is one of the coolest things I've ever done. It was awesome. It worked beautifully. And then testosterone got involved. Then the one-uppiness started. Well, if this guy jumped over the rail and did a backflip or front flip or whatever, I've got to do something else. So this, right, I have to have an answer for all of my friends that have already done really cool things. Testosterone dictates you will not be outdone. So this is what I decided. Go off, act like it ain't no big deal. I mean, I've done it a dozen times already, throw my hands back, recline. And my plan is I'm going to fall like this, right on the mattress, right? Dead, dead right in the middle of the mattress. No way I could mess it up. Physics was not my strong suit, is not my strong suit. I didn't take into consideration the guy's upper body is a lot heavier than their lower body. Uh, instead of falling like this, I felt like this. I was not in that position for very long before I was headed in a very poor trajectory. Also, I did not take in consideration the horizontal momentum that when you, when you jump, you can control horizontal momentum. When you fall back, you don't. And so instead of falling like this, I felt like this. And you can see it happening. See those guys that are holding the mattresses? I mean, we were practicing safety, obviously. Uh, they're holding the mattresses, and they got a front row seat to me, my, the back of my shoulders hitting the very last mattress, and within a foot of cracking my skull on the concrete floor below, and in effect, probably killing me, um, I hit the back of this mattress. I am slung into this window frame uh, wall thing, and to this day, you can go to Samford Hall, and turn immediately to your right when you walk in the door, and there is a bent piece of window frame that was my right foot. Y'all, to this day, I do not have full feeling in my right foot. I was bleeding. It was awful. I survived, thank God. But let me tell you what that experience taught me. I will not be jumping off any second floors anytime soon. You know why? Students, it's stupid. Okay? That's why. There's the takeaway. Hindsight being 2020, I'm never going to do that again. Hindsight has a beautiful way of revealing action for future action, right? Past action 
giving us insight into future action. This is exactly what Moses is telling his people in sermon number one. The first thing that he tells them is look back, remember man's failings. Remember who you are. Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, he's detailing the events of Kadesh Barnea. Listen what it says. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord your God of your fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. By the way, what you see in the Old Testament a lot is God telling people to do things but tagging along their mom and dads, right? Tagging along their ancestral line, right? I'm the God of your fathers. Looking back. The same God that was there for me, Mom, Papa, is the same God that is with you today. Same God, same power to save. Do not fear or be dismayed, but look at verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. We know what happened. They sent 12 men. Twelve spies to give a report on the land. And though the land had plenty of food, and though the land was truly flowing with milk and honey, and everything God had described, there was a problem. They had giants in the land. They had people that they were afraid of. Anatomically speaking, they were puny in comparison to these giant men. In fact, they say we were like grasshoppers to them. Now that's some jacked up dudes, but that's what they said. Right? And here's the deal. I don't care how good the land is, we're not going to be able to overtake these people. And so by a 10 to 2 majority, the people of Israel listen to the 10 men who say, the people are too strong, we cannot do it, and they decide that what God has told them to do is not for them today. And for 40 years, they live in the consequence of that decision. Remember your sin Remember your failings. Remember what happened at Kadesh Barnea. Hey, we're on the cusp of the land again. Don't let what happened last time happen again. They had become so concerned with the opponent in front of them that they missed the advocate that was beside them. There is nothing that diminishes the bigness of God in our lives than when we shift our focus off of him. When God takes a periphery stance in our perspective, we lose perspective. It is not that the way that we view God diminishes God in any way, but for all practical intents in our life, he is diminished into a puny God. So he is no longer El Shaddai, God Almighty for us. He is a puny God that cannot intervene in this difficult circumstance that we're going through. He's a God that can't relate. He's a God that doesn't have skin in the game. And he's a God that cannot help us in our current situation. They looked at the giants and they missed God. Nothing diminishes the bigness of God in our lives, like shifting the focus off of him. When we are not focused on him, we miss who he really is. We miss the f that he has the final say in all that we will go through. 
We miss it because our focus is elsewhere. Our focus is on the giants. Our focus are on our struggles. The focus is on our marriage. The focus is on our children. The focus is on our career. The focus is on the economy. The fo- our focus is on politics. Our focus is on sports. Our focus is on whatever. And we diminish the bigness of God in our life. So we miss his big provision. We miss his big activity because we write him off as a God who cannot intervene in this circumstance. Despite historical proof to the contrary. God can't rule on this occasion. Remember your sin, but remember your size. Deuteronomy 4. Turn over a couple pages, verse 37. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt and with his own presence by his great power, by his great power, sorry, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you. What does he say there? God chose to love your fathers to allow his favor to rest upon them. He brought them out of Egypt with his own presence and his great power, driving them out. Nations that were greater and mightier than you were. Remember your size. There was nothing. Israel wasn't big as a minute compared to all the other nations of the world. Israel had nothing to bring to the, to the table with that get, amounted to any kind of tactical advantage. They were a puny people without a home, without a fortress, without something to hide in. Remember your frailty. Remember your size and recognize that it is God who has done these things. The teaching points are this. God's power has made you mighty. Let me tell you the reason why the people of Jericho, they would find out in Joshua, that the people of Jericho were quaking in their boots because Israel was on the other side of the Jordan. Let me tell you why they were quaking, or excuse me, on this side of the Jordan. Let me tell you why they were quaking in their boots. That was the, that was the report from Rahab, right? They are terrified that the Israelites are at our doorstep. It wasn't because Israel was some overpowering force, but because a mighty God worked on their behalf. And it is God's power that delivered them over and over and over. Nothing that they have done, they are puny, they are weak, they are without a home, they are homeless. Mm. But God fights their battles. That's the difference. So God's power has made you mighty. When God accomplishes something that is outside of man's power, it speaks to God's glory, not man's. That's the point. When God uses you, uses me, to accomplish things that we do not have the prerequisites to accomplish on our own strength. It is not us that is allowed to get the glory. It is God. That's why you read the list of heroes in the Old Testament and then follow it to the New Testament. You will find a bunch of really, really underqualified people. Because God would share his glory with no man. 
It's not the one you'd expect. It's the weak who would be naive enough to depend on God for daily provision. God's power has made you mighty, but don't miss this. The other teaching point in this is God's love has made you worthy. God's power has made you mighty, but God's love has made you worthy. I know we're getting outside the parameters of this message, but look at Deuteronomy 7. Turn to Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and 8 real quick. He doubles down on this idea that it's not about you. You are puny. You are nothing. It's all about me. When he says in chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, it is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. It's because God loves you and God keeps his promises that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from Pharaoh, king. Of Egypt. You see, when God accomplishes something that is outside of man's power, it speaks to God's glory, not man. But when God chooses to favor a people that are undeserving of that favor, it speaks to the glory of God, not man. What's, what's different about us? as the redeemed, as the children of God. It is that we live in light of God's love. And God's love intervened to such an extent on our behalf that he would send his son to be sin for us, to pay that penalty so that we could live a new existence as a new creature living in light of the love of God. It is God's love that made Israel worthy. Nothing that they've done, no scheme, no power of man, none of those things would measure up, but simply that God loves us and he will keep his promises. There are days that you will live. The only thing that you can be assured of is the love of God and the fact that he keeps his promises. Does that drive us in every area of our life? Are we living for God's glory, not our own? In a world that is obsessed with self-glory, in a world that is exalting self at every pass, the message of the Old Testament to Israel and the New Testament to us today is that to find value in ourself is futile because we have no value outside of our connection to God. Our value comes from him. It does not come from within. It comes from outside of us. It's not something we can determine. It's something that he determines. It is outside of us and it is fixed. So instead of giving the world's advice to be true to you, the Christian perspective, those that are his, will choose to be true to the one who created them. Maybe we shouldn't offer advice from the world to our kids like, 
Honey, follow your heart. Follow your heart and do what you think is right. You know what it says of the period of the judges? Each man determined in his own heart what was right. How'd that period go for Israel? Chaos. Chaos reigned. Instead of following our hearts, a heart that the prophets would say is deceptively wicked. Do you know what that means? That means our heart will go out of its way to trick us into calling evil good. It will go out of the way to ensure us that we land ourselves in the middle of sin. It is deceptively wicked. And who can know it? Instead of following our heart, God has called his people to follow his heart. Because we can know the way of righteousness. We can know God's heart through his word. And instead of making a name for ourselves, God's people have been called to make great the name by which man can be saved. The only name given among men by which man can be saved. You can't provide salvation to anybody. And we can get overwhelmed by that and go, well, I can't save my kids. I can't save my loved ones. I can't save my coworkers. We can get overwhelmed and we can wear the weight of that. Or we can realize it for what it is. It is a freeing idea. It isn't on us. Our failures don't disqualify them from receiving Christ, right? It is only through his name, not ours, that men can be saved. Men and women can go, can be translated from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. So we are to remember our failings. Remember where we have failed. Secondly, remember God's faithfulness. God provided for the people of Israel. When we think of consequences, we tend to think of being alone in them, right? I tend to think of when I was a kid, go up to your room, you're in trouble, clean your room, and don't come down until you're done. Unless I had a pet at that point that lived in a terrarium, right, I was alone in that. In my punishment, I was alone, and I had to complete things and do things on my own, but God provided for the people of Israel. The judgment of God was not the abandonment of God for Israel. God wasn't leaving them to fend for themselves for 40 years. Deuteronomy 2, verse 7. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. What's the immediate context of this? In the wilderness. In the wilderness where you are serving out the sentence of the consequence of your actions, your sin, God has blessed all the work of your hands. He knows you're going. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have lacked. God had not left his people to fend for themselves. In fact, God gave them daily reminders, I'm still here. I am 
with you. Even in the curse of the wilderness, there was the blessing of God's presence. God's presence was with them. God was providing for them. Deuteronomy 29 says, you don't even have to look any further than the clothes on your back or the shoes on your feet to know that I have sustained you completely. Even your shoes have not worn out. Even your clothing has not become threadbare. I have sustained it all. I have been with you in the desert. And I just don't care what you're going through. The reality of that is true for us today. Though we can't feel him, though we're not happy, though it's not where we may want to be, God is with you. He is providing for us, but he is also showing his power through us. Deuteronomy 3, 21 through 22. And I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to those two kings. These were Amorite kings, Sihon and Og. And they were leaders of fortresses, of a group of people that were fortressed in mighty, uh, in, in mighty spaces. Every time that God's people were led against another foe on their way to the promised land, they were outmaneuvered, they were outgunned, they were outpositioned, and they were outmanned. Every single time. But God gave them victory. Every single time they took the land of these kings. So will, so he says, remember what I did to the Amorites. Remember what happened. Remember though your backs were against the wall and you didn't have any way to defend yourself. Remember that I defended you and I fought your battles for you. So will the Lord do with all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. It is God who fights for you. In the same way that God fought for his children then, he fights for us today. And as good things happen, there's a tendency in us to grab a hold of them and make them God things. To make them things that we have achieved. To make them the focus and to shift the focus off of God. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing that we place our focus on that diminishes the bigness of God in our life. What I can tell you is there's no greater example of that than this church. Do you know why I know God's in what we're doing here? Because I can't stop what I didn't start. And the only way that I can describe what God has done in this church is the prayer from a lot of people for a very long time for this area. It can't be attributed to man. God has provided and God has brought his power on full display in what we experience on a weekly basis here as the body of Christ gathered together. And so I want to look at what God's done. If we're going to look back, we need to look. If we're going to start our vision, then we need to look back at what God has done. God provided people who had a vision to do what we're doing here, who were not a part of this community, but were still felt called to reach this community in this way. God placed it in the heart of men 
that had no vested interest in Elkmont except for God had called them to do it. God provided those people. God provided people like Dusty Macklemore and our senior staff to make this church plant happen. God provided a place for us to meet. Y'all, I just saw a video where I had taken Dusty through a video tour of a building. It, it ended up being the building that was destroyed, by the way. The old hinge building back here. Um, literally, as I'm taking him on the tour, a cat jumps down from one of the inside one of the air conditioning ducts and, like, freaks me the heck out. And so Dusty got a big kick out of it. I didn't cuss, thankfully, but, like, he got a big kick out of that, um, you know. And, and, and it was just, man, it was sketchy places. We kept looking and looking and looking, and then God provided northern. We thought, well, I guess we'll just do it in the school. But, y'all, I'm here to tell you, I don't think we'd be where we are today had we not launched in the school. I truly believe that. And then COVID happens, potentially derailing every mobile church idea in the world, right? God had already provided this space. That literally the Sunday we get back to meeting, we are meeting here, not there where there's still sanctions and there were still regulations. God provided a place for us. Don't tell me that's coincidence. That is God's divine timing and provision in the life of our church. He provided a team of people and a staff to make it all happen. We, are, we have an incredibly gifted staff and group of volunteers. Incredibly gifted that allow us to do what we're doing. God provided the timing of groups. Y'all, let me tell you, one thing that I would not do as a church planner again is start with a big group. Because, man, you get a bunch of people like, oh, yeah, this is cool, and they have no way to plug in. No way to grow, Right? But we started groups literally two months before COVID shuts us all down. And so, thankfully, we had started those groups, which we had talked about not doing it until the next fall. Thankfully, God provided that timing so that you could be connected with a small group that cared about you, that knew what you were going through, knew when you were testing positive, knew to pray for your mom and them, and you were attached to the lifeblood of our church still in COVID. God provided that timing. I'm convinced of it. And I just, I want to celebrate wins. Like, I want to celebrate what God has done. And so I don't know if you know this. I'm just going to list some of these statistics that show and demonstrate the power of God and what he's done in the life of our church. There have been 46 people since August 18th 2019, who have passed from death to life as a result of direct result of the ministry of this church, meaning we have the decision cards on them that are followed up with, and they are, they're, they're in, baby. Like, we've got records of them. We can follow up with them. They have passed from death to life. Would you give God a hand clap of praise for that? 46 people. Next Sunday will be our... Well, 11 days. We're 11 days from our three-year anniversary. 60 people have been baptized as a result of the ministry of our church. In our baptistry, or at least at an event that we were baptizing people in. So sometimes that looked like a creek. Sometimes that looked like a cattle trough, right? I still get... I still get uh, Christy talking to me about her daughter being... Oh, you baptized my daughter in a cattle trough, Pastor. 
Praise the Lord, right? I mean, so, so 60 baptisms as a result, the life of our church. Uh, we saw membership uh, in the first year of our church. At the end of the first year, we had just over 100 people. We now have over 200 in membership today. That's membership. Now, it's not all y'all that you're coming, coming for free, all right? It's membership, <laughs> all right? Numerical growth, when we started, after every, all the craziness settled down, we had less than 100 people in attendance, Now we average over 220. We'll be well over that today. God has blessed groups. Talk about discipleship, which, by the way, a lot of where we're headed and what we're going to be talking about is is in this direction. Our groups in the spring of 2020 started off with 76 people, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, so people didn't have a reason to say, oh, I don't want to get in everybody's house with COVID. Right? 76 people attended home groups. The spring of 2022... We had 170 attendees. By the way, we've opened our small groups up to sign up today. You can sign up and you can grow that number. And y'all, even in saying that, there is a tendency as the pastor to grab hold of that as my precious, right? To grab a hold of those stats and go, man. Look what I've done. I feel feel that. If the Old Testament tells us anything, if Moses' message to his people tells us anything, it is a reminder that we are so ill-equipped to do what God has called us to do. Every one of us in this room are ill-equipped to do what God has called you to do. But that's the point, because God doesn't share his glory. He gets it. We don't. And so I look at those numbers, and the only thing, this is not a reflection on me or staff, volunteer, or otherwise. It's not a reflection on our home group strategy. It's not a a reflection on our children's director. It's not a reflection on our preschool directors. It's not a reflection on any of our ministry team heads or any of our volunteers. It is a reflection on the power and the provision of God supernaturally to do what none of us in this room could do. It's it. Moses says, remember that. Because there's a tendency to use even those good things and to begin serving them and in so doing you're serving yourself. So he says, remember God's, remember man's failings, remember God's faithfulness and finally, Respond to him. Respond to what you see. As we look back, we are called to respond in a way that reflects an understanding of who God has been and who we trust him to be. Deuteronomy 4, verse 32 and through 35. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of heaven to the other. Ask anybody you want to, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Ask if any of this has ever happened to anybody that you've ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of a fire like you did? 
as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and to take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? Saying, is, have you ever seen this happen? That the puniest of people were rescued from the mightiest of people all because God intervened. Have you ever seen it? Have you ever witnessed it? Have you ever heard of it happening before? If the answer to that is no, understand this. To you it was shown, verse 35, that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. Every time we walk through that single door, <laughs> that door to come to church, we are part of a testimony. And it is not a testimony of our expertise or our power or our cunningness. It is a testimony that the Lord, he is God. And he fights for us. Every time we are a part of any gathering. We have been rescued and redeemed. Why was Moses saying this to the people? Because sure, God has done awesome things, but he's not done with Israel yet. He's not done with them. They don't get a chance to just rest on their laurels and think about how awesome all the things that God has done. No, they are using that information, that hindsight, and they are called to pursue God in obedience to see even greater things ahead. Just like we sang. We're not dead, so God's still doing something. God has a plan had a plan for Israel. God had a, has a plan for this church. And God has a plan for you. The question is, are you going to remember? And are you going to live your life with the theme, with the testimony that the Lord, He is God? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? The Lord, he is God. You know, that may or may not be true of you in this room. There's never been a time in your life that you have submitted your life, your heart, to the lordship of Christ. You've never begun a relationship with him. Then you can't say that. That can't be the theme of your life until you're willing to give your life to him and surrender He's calling his people to remember what God has done as his people so that that will then inform their future obedience and God will get the glory there as well. If you desire to see God brought glory through your life to himself, that begins with a relationship with him. 
So if you're here and you don't have that relationship, and there's never been a time where you surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would encourage you to make that change, to respond to the drawing of the Holy Spirit in your life. God is a God who is infinitely powerful to provide for every one of our needs if we will surrender our lives to him. And so if that's you, man, please don't leave this place without doing business with him, without getting your heart right with him. Whether everyone in this room knows you as a crack-smoking atheist or everyone in this room, room believes you to be a believer, believes you'd already have that relationship intact, respond to him, be obedient to him, watch him provide and move in power in your life. Guys, God is not done with this church and he's not done with us as individuals. So what is it that you need to be obedient with? I want this time to be that, a time to respond to whatever God has has led you, is leading you to do. Maybe that's salvation. Maybe that's joining our church. Maybe that's getting your baptism in order. Uh, Maybe that's just coming and praying here at the altar, laying some things down before him. This altar is open for you. I just want you to take this time to be obedient to him. Give him everything and watch what he can do with it. Father, have your will and way in this place. God, we love you. Let our heart be your home. God, I pray that we wouldn't limit what you desire for us to do. Pray for those that need to get right. Pray for those that need to respond in some way, make some decision today. I pray they would do that before it's everlasting too late. They would do that in this time of response. They'd come, find the center aisle, find me here at the front and Lord, they can get right with you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Stand to your feet as we sing. Just respond as the Spirit leads in these moments.